song about not being moved. <laughs> well, welcome to First Universalist Unitarian Church of Wassa. My name is Sarah Thurs, and I'm a proud member of this congregation. I'd like to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here today in the pews and those of you watching from home on our church YouTube channel. Since 1858, UU Wassa has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, please know that you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in line and on, uh, in person. Be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We have updates on activities and classes, outings our church offers, like our winter retreat, which I believe if you see in your yellow pages, we still have room for two families yet, book clubs, social justice work, and more. We have a few announcements this morning. The church office will be closed tomorrow, January 16th, and reopens Tuesday at 9 a.m. If you have any items for the February edition of The Circuit Writer, please send them on to Donica no later than Tuesday, January 24th. And if you've not yet turned in your 2023 pledge form as a member of the Stewardship Committee, I ask that you please do so to let us know how you plan to support the ministry and the community outreach and church services we offer, like this beautiful gathering you're here with us today. Thank you in advance for your generous support of the fellowship and faith and fun that this beloved church offers to us all. And with that, let us gather our hearts and our minds for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting, 
you can find the words printed in today's order of service. We light this light chalice, chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Well, we gather. We gather together today on ancestral lands of indigenous peoples, home of the Menominee and Potawatomi, the Ho-Chunk Nation of Winnebago. We're reminded of our obligation to good stewardship of these lands and right relations with their inhabitants, past and present. So come into this circle of love and justice. Come into this communion of caring and wholeness, peace and joy. Come let us worship. Let us shape worth together. Our opening hymn is Amazing Grace, number 205. If you would remain standing and 
join with me in our affirmation printed in your order of service. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge in freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other and our doxology. seated. Well, my story for all ages today is about another prophet. Um, I think all of the children have, have left the building, but some of us are children at heart, and some of us know this story of Jonah and the whale. I have this picture of, of Jonah and, and the whale. Now, the deal is, long ago, there was this guy, Jonah. He was a righteous guy good guy. And God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh and set those people straight. Now, Nineveh was full of people filled with hate, filled with greed. They were nasty folks, nasty, nasty folks. Now, Jonah knew that if he went to Nineveh, he might very well get rid out on a rail, tarred and feathered, beat up to a pulp. And he said to himself, oh God, I don't think I can do this. I think I'm just gonna skip town. So Jonah lived probably near the Mediterranean, and so he got on a ship. And he thought, I'm just gonna get away from here. You know, God can't ask me to go to Nineveh if I'm, I'm you know, out on the Mediterranean, um, on the French coast or somewhere nice, with not mean people. So he gets on the ship. He's not on the ship for 15 minutes, and that a storm comes up. That ship is rocking and a rolling, and it is going to collapse. The sailors know that they are in deep trouble, and of course, at that time, they thought that it was God who was punishing them for something. Now, what was different about the ship? Jonah was on the ship. Jonah knew, too, it was God punishing him for not doing what God requested. So Jonah says, just throw me over throw me overboard, which is what the sailors do. Of course, the story is that Jonah is swallowed by this sometimes translated big fish, sometimes translated whale, you know, fish, mammal, big. Um, as you said, big. I, I mean, I, I don't think you're catching anything around here in these lakes that's quite this big. So Jonah's in the whale, whale's stomach. It's got water in it, icky water. It's dark. It's got whatever this fish is eating, which is probably being digested. Um, amazingly, of course, Jonah is not being digested along with those fish. And he's got time to think. Finally, after three days, he says, okay, God, I'll do it. I'll go to Nineveh. And he does. And he tells, tells the people, what the heck are you doing? 
Your poor are suffering. Your widows are suffering. Your children are suffering. Love these people. Love the poor. Do justice. And what do you know? Those people in Nineveh actually listened to him, which surprised Jonah no end. But that's what a prophet does. A prophet says, things are not right here. Things are not going well. You are not fair. You are not just. You are not kind. You need to change your ways. And that's pretty much the end of my story. And I'm sticking to it. So if you would relax your mind and your body into a time of prayer and meditation. Um, An old, old friend of mine from high school, a poet, a musician, the son of a Methodist minister, pretty strict Methodist minister, who then became, this friend became Catholic and then became Lutheran, and now he's just kind of adrift, like Jonah in that whale saying, Lord, what should I do? Gave me this version, this changed version of the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me a channel of disturbance. Where there is apathy, let me provoke. Where there is compliance, let me bring questioning. Where there is silence, may we be a voice, where there's too much comfort and too little action, grant disruption. Where there are doors closed and hearts locked, grant us the willingness to listen. When laws dictate and pain is overlooked, when tradition speaks louder than need, grant that we may seek rather to do justice than to merely talk about it. Disturb us, O Lord, to be with as well as for the alienated, to love the unlovable as well as the lovely. Lord, make us a channel of disturbance. Make us a channel of blessed unrest. If you would turn your hymnals to hymn number 169, remain seated. We shall sing, We Shall Overcome.
And now a moment for our offertory, which allowed, of course, Roxanne and Samantha to hear our beautiful singing, but I'm sorry, I kind of skipped you. So Roxanne from this own congregation and Samantha from um, Mosaic of North Central Wisconsin, located in the YWCA, just across the street, I'm told, will come and talk with us. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad I got to hear the beautiful singing. It really was beautiful. My name is Sam Wiedereth. I am the Executive Director of Mosaic of North Central Wisconsin. Thank you so much for having me a part of your service today. I would like to take a few minutes to tell you about Mosaic and some of our upcoming events and programs that are happening. Mosaic of North Central Wisconsin joined the YWCA WASA in fall of 2022. We have now one mission to ensure that North Central Wisconsin is the place where individuals choose to live and work because differences are embraced, individuals feel connected, valued, and supported, and there is a strong sense of belonging. We offer a variety of programs on the topics of IDEA plus B. That's inclusion, diversity, equity, accessibility, plus belonging. We currently have 170 members, including individuals, businesses, and organizations who attend our programming and agree to our mission to welcome all. I would like to extend an invitation to you all to join us not only to become a member, but to also some of our upcoming events. The idea behind the name Mosaic is that individual pieces, individual, individuals as themselves, are beautiful and can stand as a piece on their own. But when we come together, we create a beautiful vision. So I'd like to share some of our upcoming events. On January 20th, we are hosting a Zoom session on the Marathon and Lincoln County Diversity Survey that was um, produced by WIPS. This will be at 7.30 a.m. on Zoom. On January 24th, our Women Empowerment Series will host a self-defense class at the Mosaic office from 7 to 7.30 p.m. On February 23rd, our Women Empowerment Series is also hosting a Healthy Eating for You workshop at the office from 7 to 7.30. We are really excited that on February 24th, we are hosting our first annual Connecting Communities Conference. This will be a full day of diversity and inclusion topics and trainings and conversations. It will also include two breakout session periods and a large group training on implicit bias. It will also include a wonderful cultural lunch that will be vended by Taste of Jamaica and La Taqueria. The early bird cost is $55 for the whole day, and we are really excited about some of the activities and coming together opportunities. I have this information as I just spewed out a bunch of information to you all at once, but I do have it printed that you may take a copy um, for the registration links and for other additional information, and they are located on the table in the atrium. You can find more information and become a member at our website, mosaic-connect.org. I thank you so much for this opportunity to come to your service and share your support. The beginning introduction and the welcome made me feel that this is a perfect place to feel safe, to feel belong, and we are just really excited to have the opportunity to share this opportunity with you to join us as well. 
If you have any questions, please feel free to contact me. I do have my business cards located on the table as well. Or stop by the office as we are your neighbor across the street. Um, we are always looking for individuals to stop in, have conversations, and connect with us. So thank you so much for your time today, and I appreciate you all. So I'm told that uh, uh, you usually have the collection plate in back, but also that your common um, community focus collection this month is for, will go towards Mosaic. Excuse me while I find my place, as since I've jumbled the order of service just a touch. A reading, a reading from Marge Piercy, after she's probably been confronted by some of the hate crimes, the violence, the unfairness in this world. Anger shines through me. Anger shines through me. I am a burning bush. My rage is a cloud of flame. My rage is a cloud of flame in which I walk seeking justice. How the streets of the Iron City flicker, flicker, and the dirty air fumes. Anger storms between me and things, transfiguring, transfiguring. A good anger, a good anger acted upon is beautiful as lightning and swift with power. A good anger swallowed, a good anger swallowed clots the blood to slime.
I found this reading in the Little Brown Book of Anecdotes. Now, the story is about the legendary Republican mayor of New York, Fiorello LaGuardia. He was mayor of New York from 1933 to 1945. And in this story, Mayor LaGuardia is presiding at police court. One bitter cold day, they brought a trembling old man before him, before the mayor, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. His family, he said, was starving. Oh, I've got to punish you, declared LaGuardia. The law makes no exception. I can do nothing but sentence you to a fine of $10. Now, this was back in the 30s. $10 is a huge amount of money, huge amount. But LaGuardia, his nickname was the Little Flower, he reached into his pocket as he added, well, here's the $10 to pay your fine. And now I remit the fine. And he tossed the $10 bill into this famous big brimmed hat, sometimes they called it a sombrero, that he wore. And furthermore, he declared, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a man has to steal bread in order to feed his family. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to this defendant. Well, the hat was passed, and an incredulous old man, with the light of heaven in his eyes, left the courtroom with a stake of $47.50. More truth, more light is breaking through this world. More truth, more light. Oh, great spirit, help us say what needs to be heard. Ah, yeah, yeah. Prophet might sing that to himself before he goes out to Nineveh and tells all those people to do right. You know, Unitarian Universalists, or around here, Universalist Unitarians, have seven principles which congregations covenant to affirm and promote. And these principles are informed by sources of wisdom. And, and one of those sources reads, the living tradition we share draws from the words and deeds of prophetic women and men. These words and deeds challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about what is a prophet. Give you a crash course in those prophets from the Old Testament. I went through a, a whole class on them. And talk about some of the prophets we might see sitting in those pews right next to us. So what is a prophet? A prophet is a divinely inspired preacher. A prophet doesn't predict the future so much as she or he looks critically at the present points out the wickedness, proclaims what the people need to do in order to realize the kingdom of God in the here and now. The prophet is one called or sent 
as a messenger, the prophet ta takes an ethical measuring stick to the present social order and finds that it is wanting. The prophet is a gadfly, a persistent, irritating critic of the social order. Prophets warn rulers and priests and the complacent among the people about the consequences of their actions, the consequences of breaking covenant with the God of love and justice. And they warn them of the likelihood of being judged badly by history. Prophets want to see justice done. More truth, more light, breaking through this world. Now, the prophets from the Hebrew Bible, what uh, Christians often call the Old Testament, lived in a time of elaborate temples and arcane rituals, ostentatious piety, and folks who repeatedly turned to false gods, gods with whom they bartered various animal and sometimes human sacrifices, bartered that all for good fortune for themselves. For that sort of environment, the prophet Amos speaks to the righteously religious. And you may have someone in your family or someone you know who is righteously religious. And on behalf of Yahweh, Amos says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings, I will not accept them. I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your harps. But, you'll hear this in one of our hymns, but let justice run down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's Amos. The prophet Micah asks, what shall I come before? What shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? A fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. And Micah says, he has shown you O oh man, what is good? And what was, does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly on this earth? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Now, Isaiah, Isaiah is kind of the rock star of prophets, if you know my, um, the Messiah and, and the lyrics in, in Messiah there, a lot of them are taken from Isaiah. But here's the core of Isaiah. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Isaiah. And then Elijah. Elijah goes up to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, to take refuge, and he is told that Yahweh is going to pass by. And a mighty wind comes, but Yahweh is not in the wind. And then an earthquake comes, but Elijah does not find God, does not find Yahweh in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there is fire, but God is not in the fire. But after the fire, 
a light, murmuring sound. In the King James Version of the Bible, this sound is translated as a still, small voice. God is in that still, small voice of our conscience. Now, finally, Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah despairs and laments over the unrepentant people he encounters. Oh, gosh, what was that T-shirt that the guy in, at, the, at uh, the restaurant this morning was wearing? Assholes live forever. Oh, dear, and I'm not sure if, if he really wants to be one of those people. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, he roundly and thunderously denounces those continuing in their evil, faithless ways. Now, Puritan sermons, Puritan sermons back in the 16, 1700s, are often called Jeremiads. They are those gloom and doom, oh my goodness, all of you people are going straight down because you ain't doing right. You ain't following all the rules of this particular church. They're called Jeremiads. They are creepy sermons. Sometimes you can encounter them now. But Jeremiah, Jeremiah always, always spoke of the persistence of God's love and the ever-present possibility of authentic repentance and redemption. The prophet not only warns, but the prophet also sustains, comforts, strengthens. An effective prophet gives hope, not just a wagging finger. Now Moses, Moses was considered a prophet, is considered a prophet by Jewish and Christian and Islamic traditions. Moses leads the enslaved Hebrews from Egypt into the wilderness and towards the promised land. And, and there's a wonderful um, Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann. Brueggemann, I heard him give this lecture once, and this will be a succinct uh, extrapolation of his lecture. My best friend was there at the lecture with me, and she thought she'd never heard anything so boring in her life. I was so excited. Now, Walter Brueggemann tells us that this construct, this story of Moses leading the people out of this Egypt into a promised land, it's how all prophets somehow work. And what the prophets tell us is wherever we live, it's Egypt. There is no better land. There is, there is a better land somewhere. And the way to that land is through the wilderness. And how do we get to the wilderness? Through the wilderness, we join together and march. So what does all that mean? So wherever we live, it's Egypt. Now, Pharaoh's land is oppressive. There are slaves. There are the very poor. But it's also very seductive. There are the wealthy, the well-to-do. Any tyrant's lands, any society that consists of those who have very much and those who have very little is an oppressive society. Yet it can be very seductive. Such a society is committed to the accumulation of wealth, wealth in the form of amassing power, through trade agreements, through an enforced or restricted labor force, through traffic in arms, 
Such a society is also an accumulator and a determiner of what constitutes wisdom or what we ought to know, what makes for knowledge, and it's especially technical knowledge, an accumulator of what the powerful may call intelligence, however sometimes unintelligent it may seem to the rest of us. With this power and this knowledge comes a feeling of privilege, entitlement, and a practice of exploitation among the elite, those who consider themselves qualified. Well, the partially qualified, the unqualified, the disqualified are essentially held in captivity, are numbed, while the busyness of buying and selling, the busyness of mindless entertainment, I think I've morphed from Egypt to us, the business of warmongering goes on. In Western society, television, advertising, movies become the liturgy of this national security state, creating false desires. We're told how to look, what to buy, how to spend our leisure time. We're told, I am self-invented. I better hustle to get ahead. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. The prophet, the prophet reminds us that though we may win that rat race, we are all in the end still rats. So wherever we live, it may very well be Egypt. But the prophet also tells us that there is a better way to live, a better land somewhere. A pharaoh or a Putin or whatever modern day dictator you can think of often prevails, but the prophets and the poets, the agitators, the dreamers suggest to us that the world could be organized differently. The prophet calls people to be in acute tension with empire, with militarism, with runaway consumption, with entitlement. Un otro mundo es posible. Un otro mundo es posible. Another world is possible. That is what the prophet tells us. There is a better land somewhere. And the way to that land, unfortunately, is through the wilderness. Those, any of you who have been on a social justice committee, know all of the heartache that is involved in that. Those who rule empire have a huge stake in keeping us anxious, angry, fearful, confused, distracted. Yeah. So I go to a lot of different places for my prophets, and one of them is um, comedians. Steve Behrman. Steve Behrman is a satirist, and he is an inveterate pun maker, and he writes under the name of Swami Beyondananda. So he's got that religious aura around him. And in his essay, Do We Go for Abundance or Stay Stuck in Scarcity? And the way he writes this is, Do We Go for Abundance or Stay in Scarce City? He writes, Scarce City or scare city is the way it's always been. The fear that there isn't enough to go around has caused us to separate into people like us and people who don't like us. 
No wonder we have nations at odds trying to get even, a dogma-eat-dogma -dogma world where misinterpreters have translated great spiritual teachings into we're going to heaven and everyone else can go to hell. And he continues, but, but living at each other's expense can be expensive. Huge defense budgets, not to mention all the waste and corruption hiding behind defense, are bankrupting the world financially and morally. The world is terrorized by terrorism, and for that matter, anti-terrorism. Um, the fear gnomes, and he talks about little gnomes, fear gnomes, of gnawing fear that the current administration has injected into the mainstream are directly related to the serious bout of mad cowboy disease, written during the Bush era, huh? that we haven't been able to shake. And the Swami concludes, when we use evil to fight evil, well, I'm not a math wizard, but it seems to me we're increasing, not decreasing the evil in the world. And it's not just math, it's the aftermath a world stuck in greedlock, ruled not by the highest common denominator, but the lowest common dominator. Time to turn off the TV, the television, and tell a vision. And the prophet tells a vision. The prophet leads us through the wilderness, pointing out the chaos, the destruction, the divisiveness, the drivel, the prophet, the poet, the cartoonist, the songwriter, the artist, these people all tell us that huge pieces of our society are wilderness, barren, unfulfilling, nourishing neither body nor spirit. And we must travel through the wilderness before we arrive at that better land. And there is no better way to get to that better land than by joining and by marching. So who are the prophets of today? They're environmentalists, they're journalists, they're community organizers, they're scientists and healthcare workers, they're artists. Many of them are young people. I, I have hope through the works of many of our young people out of our congregations and others. These folks and others warn us about the dangers of ignoring the consequences of our current way of doing things and they all point to alternatives, to more engaging ways of living. While recognizing the pain of living in these times, prophets tell us we must move towards hope. Now, I could talk about cartoonists. Some of you are old enough to remember Walt Kelly, my mother's very, very favorite cartoonist. Uh, probably the, his main character was Pogo. They lived in the swamp. Pogo and, and um, uh, his friend Porky, the, um, uh, and probably Pogo's most uh, well-known words uh, came from this scenario. Here's the cartoon, Pogo and his friend Porky, who is a very cynical porcupine with all the spines to prove it. They're walking through a forest, and the forest has just got junk in it, old cars, old uh, tools, uh, paper, just trash, assorted trash. And Pogo looks at the devastated landscape and he says, we have met the enemy and he is us. Now, this is back 
in the 70s. So cartoons like Doonesbury, editorial cartoons, satirists these days like uh, Stephen Colbert, Trevor Noah, Amber Ruffin, Larry Wilmore, John Oliver, talk about our society in a funny way, telling us what's not quite right and what's really not right about how our world works today. So who are some of our other modern-day prophets? Well, in western Montana, in Butte, uh, there is the Berkeley Pit. It's the remains of a 50-year-old open pit mining operation, and a number of years the mining operation stopped, and of course the pit filled up with water. The water, of course, is filled with heavy metals, copper, cadmium, arsenic. Um, back in 1995, 300 migrating snow geese landed on the pond and died. That brought attention to a lot of people. Lots of people talked about the dangers of this site. Since then, even more migrating birds have, have um, landed. It's, it's become one of our major Superfund sites. And in, in Missoula, there was a women's chorus. And in that chorus was a woman named Christy Hager. Christy is an artist who lived for a number of years in Butte. Uh, her art studio overlooked the Berkeley Pit. It's really quite beautiful rock. And Christy also studied hula as a sacred dance, and she loved country western music. And one of the times when she was driving between Butte and Missoula, it came to her head, hmm, she heard Willie Nelson and Bonnie Raitt singing the western, country western classic, Cool Water. And she thought, country western, it's got the same rhythm as the hula. And here's all this dirty water. She thought social protest. And out of her thinking and her experience and her concern came what was called the cool water hula. Initially, we called it a social protest, but ultimately, we called it an art action. And one lovely July day, over 150 men and women and children put on blue sarongs and gathered around the Berkeley pit and sang. All day I face the burning waste without a taste of water. Cool water. Oh, Dan and I with throats, <coughs> throat, ah, down a bit. Throats strong, dry, and souls that cry for water, 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 cool, clear water. It was after that that the Berkeley Pit became a major Superfund site. They're still working on it. But Christie, Christie was a prophet, was a prophet. One more instance, you can tell, I've sung. I've sung with a variety of non-audition choirs. So, um, in the evening when I sing with these choirs, I am a soprano. In the morning, I'm an alto, and somehow, sometimes I have to go down to tenor. I mean, that's just where my voice is. So, in Duluth, there's a non-audition choir, Echoes of Peace, directed by musician Sarah Thompson. 
and some of you have sung her songs. Now, Echoes of Peace uh, does concerts to um, benefit various groups. And a couple of these concerts have been for a group called the Kako Foundation. Now, Kako is the nickname of Karim Javier uh, Gaspard. He's a 16-year-old from Haiti, and his uncle, Rudy Perot, is a professor of violin and viola at the University of Minnesota in Duluth, which is where I live. Now, Kako loved music, and he was an excellent trumpet player. And he lived with his uncle for a while and actually went to some Duluth schools. The summer Kako returned to Haiti, he was kidnapped. The ransom was paid, and even though the ransom was paid, he was murdered by his captors. And his cousin, Rudy, decided to honor his memory to answer this violence with a gift of music. And the foundation Rudy began in Kako's name is dedicated to nurturing the artistic gifts of every child. Um, there is a music school, there are musical instruments, and the children learn how to play these musical instruments. Of course, it was destroyed in the earthquake and we had another fundraising concert. And one of the songs that we sang at both of the concerts was an African, South African freedom song. It doesn't matter if you should jail us, we are free and kept alive by hope. Our struggle's hard, but victory will restore our lands to our hands. So these people that I've known, been lucky enough to know, Christy Hager, Rudy Perot, Sarah Thompson, all manner of artists, serve as prophets in our day and age. They call us to revolution, to change. We're reminded that writing and listening and reading are revolutionary acts. Nobody owns the patent on activism. Sometimes activism is merely working on yourself. So just think, who are your prophets in Wausau, in Wisconsin? Who are the prophets? So wherever we live, it is probably Egypt, whether we live in the US or Haiti or South Africa, and there is a better land somewhere, a land that is more just, more fair, more loving. The way through that land is through the wilderness, through many heartaches, through countless hours of living through awful news on the radio, on the TV, through blacklists and pollution, through pandemics and shutdowns, through deaths and despair. But there is no way, there is no way to get there to that better land, no better way than by joining together and marching together. Richard Gilbert, a Unitarian Universalist minister and social justice advocate writes, in a sense, all of us are called to the work of justice, called. 
Who or what calls us, we cannot be sure. Whether it be God or history or humanity, we do not know for a certainty. We only know for sure that we are called, as was the prophet Isaiah in the temple who replied, here I am, send me. So may we hear that call to work for love, to work for justice. May we keep singing and dancing and marching together May it be so. May we make it so. Blessed be and amen. So I invite you to take up your hymnals and open to our closing hymn, number 149, Lift Every Voice and Sing. It was written by James Weldon Johnson, who lived in the 1870s, and up to 1938, he wrote this in 1921. He was a writer, an attorney, an ethnomusicologist, a diplomat, uh, a professor of creative writing at Fisk University. He was born just not so very long. This song was written not so very long after slavery was abolished in this country. Lift every voice and sing is considered by many to be the African-American national anthem.
So remain standing. We extinguish our chalice, but we carry the flame within us. So for those who believe in God, may God go with you. For all who embrace life, may life return your affection. And for all those who search for a path, may a way be found and the courage to take it, step by step. So go in peace and go in blessed unrest. You may be seated. Beep. 